Thanks, Amanda. Well, morning, church. How are you? Man, it's good to see everybody here today. Uh, hey, listen, before we jump in, I wanted to have a special time of prayer. Last week, we were really praying for our students uh, as they headed off to camp. And listen, we saw the Lord do amazing things. Like I said, I got to be there and see some of that in person. Uh, but we have more things going on this summer. And uh, this coming week, actually today, we're sending out a mission team over to Philadelphia, Mississippi, uh, to the Choctaw Native American Reservation, uh, to be doing a lot of work there. Uh, and so if we have anybody uh, here from the team, we have folks from the team uh, who are going uh, Oh, to Choctaw today. Anybody in the room today? Yes, one, two, no, no. There we go. All right, come on up. Um, <clears throat> come on, Christy. Um, anybody else join in? Look, we got a, we got a ton of people. They're sleeping in because they're leaving. All right, look. Um, but uh, look, uh, Christy has been on multiple trips all over the place. Uh, thrilled that you're going to Choctaw here today. <clears throat> but look, as you're going through these names, you might notice some, some names and people that you know. Uh, we've got Chelsea Campus folks. Uh, we've got folks from Mount Laurel as well. Listen, ton of our folks heading over. We're going to be working with uh, children, uh, working with uh, churches there that we partner with. And the, how many years have we been going to Choctaw? Do you know? Six or seven, I think, at this point. Six or seven, which, I mean, look, this is kind of what we do. We like to build long-term partnerships where you go back and see people that you know and you have relationships with. So this is an amazing opportunity to continue that. Uh, I want you to kind of be putting some of these names in your head. Uh, you got Christy here. Man, let's pray for them as they get ready to go. So bow your heads with me if you would. And Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for my brothers and sisters, uh, for the call that you put on their heart this year. Some who are going back for uh, the fourth, fifth, sixth time uh, to Choctaw. Uh, Father, some who are going for the very first time and possibly even the very first mission trip. Uh, Lord, you, you're sending us out to carry your gospel to people that you love, to people who desperately need you. Father, people that we can serve. And Father, I pray that you would just pave a way. Uh, just open up doors for ministry, open up doors for gospel conversations, open up doors uh, for Christy and every member of this team. Uh, just to be able to serve you in the way you're sending them to serve. God, give them specific things to do with specific people in mind. Give them your eyes to see them. And God, we pray that hearts would be receptive to your message. Uh, Lord, we know that we cannot change anything or anyone, but you can. And Lord, you have sent us. And so we're asking you to move through this team in ways that we never could on our own, to build your kingdom, to bring joy, life, and salvation to folks who need it. We pray a blessing on all the kids who will come uh, to the kids' camp this week. Father, for all the things that are going to happen for safety, for protection. Uh, but Lord, most importantly, we, we pray that you would be the one to move in and through them. And so we send them with your blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said, amen. 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 Thank you, Christy. Can we give that team a hand today and say thank you? Good luck. It's going to be uh, an amazing week. Uh, listen, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18 is where we're going to be this morning. As we're continuing our series on the secret of marriage. And look, we're beginning to wrap up. We've got this week and next week. And we by no means have covered everything uh, when it comes to marriage. But hopefully now you know the secret. And the secret is, is that God has given us marriage to point us toward himself. Marriage is about the gospel. It shows us, listen, the Lord is the bridegroom. We, his people, are the bride. And so as we live out a married relationship, this is an opportunity to learn about the gospel. 
But the flip side is also true. As we look at that gospel, we actually get to learn how to live in our marriages. And so whether you are married or looking to be married, we look to the Lord, we look to the gospel, and he shows us, okay, in the same way that he treats us, this is how we are to live and act within our marriages. And so we've learned lots of different things about that. We're going to continue to learn in Genesis 2, verse 18, in just a moment. Before we begin the passage, though, let me ask you this. I wonder who your first best friend was. Do you remember that person? We're going to have to dig way on back, all right? Go back to your childhood. Who is the first person you think of when you think of my best friend? Because that may not be like the biggest thing for you now, but when you were like five to 10 years old, that is like a coveted title, is it not? I mean, you had to think about it. I was like, you're my first best friend. Then you're my second best friend. You're my third best friend. Like you had a hierarchy, right? And there was jockeying for position. Who was going to be your best friend here? Because look, when you find your best friend, it is an amazing experience, is it not? Because you've had friends when you're growing up, but you finally find this person, you would say, man, you're my best friend. Why? Well, because this person knows you better than anybody. They can finish your sentences. They like the same things that you like. You you enjoy the same things. You love being with them. It's easy. These are the kind of friends that even if you don't see them for a little while, you pick up the phone and you pick up as if you never left off. This person just gets you. They they know you and you, you discover this experience of not simply having acquaintance or even a friend, but a best friend. And look, when it comes to marriage, there's a lot of different aspects of marriage. But this is one of those aspects that if you're not careful, gets neglected. But it actually sits right at the heart of what a healthy marriage is going to look like. And you're going to see that here in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. So uh, we have looked at this passage a couple times before. Uh, If you were not here for that, though, here's the context. God is creating everything. He's made almost everything. He's made man, but not woman. Uh, And so he is finishing out creation. Uh, And look what happens here, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, again, we've looked at this passage multiple times before. Hopefully, this is really kind of, kind of drilled into you. This is the first marriage. This shows us God's design for marriage between a man and a woman. This is referred back to by Jesus, by Paul in the New Testament. And so it has the authority of all of Scripture. Uh, But there's a word here that's very important that we've kind of skipped over. We finally need to look at. Look at verse 18 and listen to what, what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, that is an interesting word. And for some of us, that might be an uncomfortable word. Ladies, you might look at that and say, hey, for all the names you could give to womankind, helper is not the one I would have picked. 
You might look at that and say, Adam, that just feels a little bit pejorative, right? I mean, you've made man and now we're going to get a helper? I mean, in English, that just doesn't sound like the greatest moniker. Surely you can come up with something better than helper to kind of help me figure out what my role is in life. And look, this English translation is correct, uh, but there's a lot of nuance here and we need to understand what it means uh, because it actually has a huge impact on the relationship between a husband and wife. All right, so the word for helper here is azer. E-Z-E-R. And what it means is is someone who who comes to help. Uh, They are an aid. They give comfort. They give succor. Uh, This is also somebody who can be described as a protector or a shield. All right? So this is somebody who comes around and protects. They help. They aid. uh, They they give whatever help is necessary. All right? So that is what the, the Azer is. And look, that is not a demeaning title in any way. In fact, you find this multiple times in Scripture, and many times you find it used of the Lord himself. And so let's look at this in Exodus. Uh, This is Exodus 18, verses 3 and 4. Moses is talking, and he's talking about his two sons. Uh, Look at this. So along with her two sons, the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. All right, look, the second son's name is Eliezer. And you can actually see the way it's written. Azer, you see that, that's help. El, that's God. So Eliezer is literally, God is my help. So this word for helper, God himself is described as a helper, one who comes alongside, who protects, who shields, who aids, who comforts, all right? God is not upset with having the name of helper attached to himself. So this is not a demeaning uh, word in any sense. Furthermore, man and woman are made in the image of God equally. They both bear the image of God. They are both different from all of the animals. Woman is taken out of man. She's not taken out of the ground or something else. And so together, male and female, we reflect the image of God. But there's a second word here that's important, but notice what it says. It says, I will make a helper fit for him. Now, the word fit in the Hebrew is the word negeb, uh, or neged, rather, which is interesting because it sounds like neged, uh, which shows up later, uh, right? But it's it's neged, uh, and it means uh, compatible, right? And, And this is actually somewhere you might have seen a mistranslation before. You ever heard the phrase helpmate? before uh, or a help meet. Uh, if you read this in the King James, it, what it says is, I will make a helper meet for him. So I will make a help meet for him, which people read fast and went help mate. And so you get this idea that the wife is a help mate. That's actually not in scripture. That's not what it said. This word for fit or meet is the word neged. Uh, and what it means is it means somebody who stands uh, in opposite to you. Uh, they stand in like, like in front of you. So this is a counterpart. This is somebody who is with you. They are helping you. Because remember, this is a helper. But this is a helper who is opposite you, right? So they're not like you. They're not next to you. But they are with you. They are different. But they are with you. They are together. So this is a helper that is compatible, complementary to you. So different, but with you. And then notice what happens after that. The two will become one flesh, and then they are naked and not ashamed. All right, so put all this together. What God is doing when he's creating man and woman, he says, I'm going to create a man, then I create a woman. The woman is a counterpart. She is different, but she is with the man. You bring them back together. So you're one, you make them two, then I bring them back together. They are compatible, complementary, 
but then they are going to become one. They are naked and they are unashamed. So what do we draw from that? Well, obviously, sex is, is in purview here, right? We're talking about a physical relationship. The very first thing that God tells them to do is to fill the earth and subdue it. Well, that is impossible unless they help one another. That is an impossible command to fill for the man alone. It's also an impossible command to fill for the woman alone. They are going to have to help each other in order to fulfill this command. And so God brings them together. They are one. But there's so much more than that. When it talks about being made one flesh and being naked and unashamed, we're not simply talking about being physically naked in front of somebody else. You're talking about being spiritually and emotionally naked and unashamed in front of somebody else. That you are completely yourself. You don't hold anything back. And furthermore, you are accepted by the other. And they accept you. Do you see the kind of the spiritual compatibility that God is building right here at the beginning? What we're really talking about is friendship, companionship. When it comes to a marriage, we're not simply talking about physical compatibility. You're also talking about spiritual compatibility, emotional compatibility, because what the Lord is building in us is that he wants us to be emotionally, spiritually connected, not just physically connected. And you actually see this described in a lot of other places of Scripture. Let me show you a few. Uh, this is Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Um, the, the Malachi is talking to the people, and look what he says. Uh, and this is the second thing you people do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Look at 15. Did he not make them one? Go back uh, real quick. With a portion of the Spirit in their union? When God binds a man and a woman together, he is binding them spiritually, not just physically, not just practically, not just financially. All right, this is not simply a practical matter. It is a spiritual union. God's spirit binds you together. But now go back one slide and look what it says at the bottom. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now this word for companion is the word habera in Hebrew and it means friend. All right, so this is your friend. And your wife, your wife, your friend by covenant. We looked at the word covenant last year, but this word companion is important. You are not simply together for a physical arrangement or for a political arrangement. No, there is a friendship that is occurring here. Go to the next one. Here's Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Again, you see the connection of companion and covenant, right? So companion here uh, is a different word. This is actually uh, aloof, A-L-U-P or P-H, uh, aloof, the word for companion. And this means a best friend, a confidant, right? A companion, right? So the, the wife of your youth, the husband of your youth, listen, this is a, a companion, a best friend, a confidant. This is who God gives us. Uh, in our marriage partner. And here's one from Song of Solomon. Don't quote from there very often. All right, so look, uh, Song of Solomon 516, uh, look what he says. His mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. 
If you've ever read Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon really is that celebration of more the romantic love, that erotic love between a husband and a wife. You've got that. But, but notice even here, this is my beloved and this is my friend. Third Hebrew word, Rhea, right? Same kind of thing though. This is my beloved. This is my friend. This is not simply somebody I'm attracted to. This is my friend. There's a companionship. There's a friendship that is here. And so not just from the word helper, but for all these different places with multiple Hebrew words, consistently you see this aspect of friendship in the midst of your marriage coming up. Now look, in the ancient Near East, marriages in many ways were political. They were for money. They were for advancement. They were for bringing honor to your family. Uh, you would make arrangements for, uh, for marriages and people would give daughters uh, in marriage to make alliances and things like that. It was a very political kind of thing. Flip that though and you get today where he says, we don't want to do any of that. Now it's the opposite. It is all feelings. It is all sex. It is all romance. And look, that is all there is. And if your feelings change, well, then you got to chuck it because there's nothing left here. Just move along to whoever you're, you're, um, you're attracted to next because that's the only thing that matters. And the Bible rejects both of those. It says, no, there's, there's something deeper here. There's, there, there's parts. Yes, this is, helps it with your family. And yes, of course, there's feelings involved and love, but, but there's something deeper here. There is a friendship that is here. And if you want the kind of marriage that God designs us for, the kind of marriage that he wants for us, we can't simply find ourselves to be uh, familially compatible or financially compatible or sexually compatible. You, you gotta say, hey, is this somebody who I could consider a best friend. If you're single, I wonder if that's what you're looking for. When it comes to the people you're evaluating and say, hey, is this going to be somebody I could spend the rest of my life with? I'm sure you're thinking about a lot of things, but is right there at the top of the list, hey, could I, could I call this person a best friend? Is this somebody I could truly live the rest of my life with? Is this somebody I could trust, who could trust me, who I enjoy? Because look, that's, that's really the main core of what this marriage is all about. Look, friendship is unbelievably powerful. C.S. Lewis talked about this uh, in multiple places. C.S. Lewis didn't get married until it was way uh, late in life. But he talked about his deep friendships. He says, friendships happen when you find somebody else and you go, you too? You see it like I do? Wait, wait you like the same thing? Wait, you, you, you feel the same way about that? You, you have the same perspective even though you're different from me and, and we have different backgrounds and experiences. You, you, you appreciate that? In the same way, and you find a kinship, and you build a friendship, and those friendships are unbelievably powerful. Look, this is something that if you're not careful and you don't guard this, you will lose in your marriage. Even if you had this early on in your marriage, if you do not cultivate this, if you do not, uh, not help to, to, to nourish this, it will atrophy over time. And what will happen is you will become something else in your marriage. You will become just a lover or you'll become just a parent or you'll become just a provider. And look, there's nothing wrong with any of those three things, but those things on their own can't sustain your marriage. If, if, if your sexual attraction is the only thing keeping you together, what happens when you get older and you're not as sexually attractive? I'm so sorry it happens. All right, so look, uh, let's, just, let's just be honest. All right, so, uh, I mean, look, it happens, it happens to all of us. All right, so, look, I mean, what happens when that can't be the core that, that's really holding everything together? If you're throwing everything into parenting, all of a sudden parenting is the only thing you are. You're just a mom, you're just a dad. What happens when they actually graduate from high school and go off to college, hopefully never to return, right? I mean, 
what, what, what happens when they do that, right? Um, and you're there with this person now and you can't parent anymore. What, what happened to the relationship? If you're just a provider, what happens when you retire and you're not going off to work eight hours a day and now you're with this person 24-7 if there isn't a friendship, if there isn't a companionship, if there isn't a relationship that's still there at the core. You have to nurture this or it will go away. So let me give you a few questions to ask yourself about the state of the friendship within your marriage. If you're married here today, just a couple things that we need to ask ourselves. Number one, do you laugh together? Do you laugh together? If there's no laughter in your marriage, something's wrong. That, that's a warning sign. There ought to be laughter in a marriage. There really is. It's hard to be mad when you're laughing a lot, right? And, and look, if you think about this, and, and I did this week, it's, if you dissect laughter You'll see why. Don't do this in the moment. You will kill the moment. It's really terrible, right? But like afterwards, you can think about this. Like how, what, what is it to laugh with somebody else? How can you possibly laugh with somebody else? Well, the only way you can laugh with somebody else is if you both get the joke. Like you both get it, right? Somebody says something and you both get it. Maybe it's an inside boat joke and you both get it. It's something that you share. And laughter brings joy. It's very hard to be mad at people when you're laughing together. It breaks down walls, but the very fact that you can laugh together, you're not laughing at one another, but with one another, this binds you together. It draws you together. There ought to be some laughter in your marriage. Second thing, do you have shared interests? Do you have shared interests? There ought to be things that you and your wife or you and your husband both like to do. Look, you're going to have hobbies. You ought to have your own things. Okay? You're not all going to like everything the same, right? Remember, they're opposite uh, of you. They're, you're you're going to have a hobby that may be different from your spouse, but you can never let those hobbies kind of crowd out the friendship of your spouse. If you're playing too much golf or you're on Instagram too much or you're going off with these friends and you're doing these things and it's crowding out the friendship that you have with your spouse where you're not spending time with, with him or her. You're not spending time with this person God has given you. All right, well, this is going to wreck your friendship. You have to have shared interests, things that you both enjoy doing. Maybe you both enjoy being outdoorsy. Maybe you both enjoy staying in. Maybe you both enjoy this kind of vacation. You need to make sure you've got shared common interests. Thirdly, do you spend time together? Do you spend time together? The only way you're going to build a strong and stable friendship is to spend time together. But look, that's hard, especially the deeper you get into marriage. You have kids, maybe you have multiple kids, and now all you are is a chauffeur. You have to take everybody everywhere. You got to go to all the things and do all the stuff. Didn't we all say we weren't going to get busy after COVID? Didn't we all say that? I thought we all made a commitment that we weren't going to get busy again after COVID, and here we are. Busy, 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 doing our stuff, ah, everywhere. We're working from home and still find a way to be busy. How is this possible? And look, if you're not care, you, you're careful, you can get so busy, you're not going to end up spending quality time with your spouse. Look, when you're early in your marriage, you don't have to plan things like this. You're swimming in time. You get all this free time. But the longer you go, you're going to have to start planning this. That's not as spontaneous, but it's just as needed and necessary. You got to work at this. You got to invest in it. You got to make sure you're spending shared quality time together. Number four, do you enjoy each other? Do you enjoy each other? Do you celebrate one another? Do you find ways of just praising the person that you're with? Say, I love this about you. 
And you genuinely do. Like, it's not fake. Like, I so enjoy that you do that. I enjoy that you enjoy that. You're, you're proud of them and you tell them. You find ways to enjoy this person that you're with. Look, I know there are gonna be things about your spouse that you don't enjoy and they will tell you, right? I mean, that's kind of what happens in life. Sooner or later, they're gonna tell you, I don't like this about you, right? But if you're gonna be able to say that, we ought also to be able to say the things that you do enjoy and say, I enjoy this about you. I'm proud of this in you. We ought to find ways of delighting in uh, the spouse that God has given us. And then number five, we look out for one another. We look out for one another. A friend is born for adversity and a friend sticks closer than a brother. When the chips are down, it's a friend who sticks by you. Your spouse ought to know that it doesn't matter what happens, you ain't going anywhere. Remember the vows we took? For better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, not just in the good times, But in the bad times, if everybody else walks, I don't walk from you. If everybody else walks, I will be the one to stand with you. Why? I'm that protector and that helper and that shield. I'm that person who's here with you. Does your spouse know that you're not going to betray them, that you are not going to leave them, that you are not going to be the one to walk away, even if everybody else does? A best friend sticks with you in all of these things. And so look, as we walk through our marriages, these are things you have to think about. Are you developing this relationship? I love it when couples tell me, hey, my my wife is my best friend. My husband is my best friend, okay? This is the person I am closest to in life. And as we we get deeper into this marriage, we, we know each other better than anybody, but I actually still enjoy this person. I love this person. You develop this deep, rich friendship. You've got to have that and don't ever underestimate it. But remember what we've been learning this entire series. As we look at our marriages, we don't simply learn how to live in our marriages from the gospel. Marriage can actually point us to the gospel. And if you're here today, you say, Adam, I'm not married. Well, look, God's through all of this, is actually showing us things that he wants to say to us as his people. Because what God is looking for is this deep friendship with us. Remember, if God says that there's this picture here between Christ and the church, then what he's telling us about marriage, he's telling us about us. He wants to be friends with us. Think about all the different ways that Jesus said this. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent, that they may know you. On the night before he's crucified, he says, listen, greater love is no man than this. And he lays down his life for his friends. He says, I know you. I love you. I care about you. And so what he's looking for is not simply a worshiper. He's not looking for a worker. He's looking for a friend. And a question for us today is, is do you consider the Lord your friend? Not just God, not just sovereign, not just powerful, not just one who can answer prayers but a friend, someone that you know, that you enjoy. Are you developing this friendship with the Lord? Look at Ephesians chapter five. Well, we're gonna finish here next week. Uh, But Ephesians chapter five, we've read it before. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Just hang there real quick. Look what it says there. He nourishes and cherishes his bride. That's us. He cares for us. He loves us. And so he's asking us, he's inviting us into 
friendship, companionship with the Lord. And the question is, are we developing that? Are you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, developing that? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you recognize this is what God is after for you. He's inviting us into a deeper friendship with him. And so this morning, as we begin to close out, I want to ask you those same five questions, not in relationship to your spouse or your future spouse, but let's ask these questions in relationship to the Lord. As you evaluate your friendship with the Lord, ask yourself these questions. Do you laugh together? Do you ever laugh with the Lord? That may sound weird to you, but do you ever laugh with the Lord? Sometimes, some of you guys are way too serious with the Lord. Lord, help me. All right. You can do that, but when was the last time you chuckled with the Lord, right? Allison, I mean, every now and then, she's like, I'll just chuckle. She's like, what? I'm like, well, he said something funny, right? Or he's going to remind you of something, or he's going to show you something surprising. Listen, do you laugh with the Lord? Do you have fun with him? Do you recognize that he is the author of all joy, author of all fun? Man, do you recognize that he is joyful and he wants to bring that joy in your life? If there's not joy in your relationship with the Lord, something's seriously wrong. Just like if there's no laughter in your marriage, if there's no joy in your walk with Jesus Christ, none at all, okay, that's a problem because friends are going to laugh. You're going to enjoy each other, right? So you're going to laugh together. There ought to be some some laughter in your relationship with the Lord. Here's the second thing. Do you have shared interests? Do you have shared interests with the Lord? For some of you, you're finding it hard to walk with the Lord Uh, and you're like, I just don't understand why we don't seem to really know each other well. I don't really feel close to the Lord at all. Uh, But the problem is that the only time y'all really have shared interests is this one hour a week. But I went to church, yes, but if you're only spending one hour a week with the Lord, but your interests are opposed the rest of the time, yeah, you're not gonna have a very deep friendship. If you don't love what he loves, if you don't hate what he hates, if you don't enjoy what he enjoys, then yeah, you're not gonna have a very strong friendship in the same way that you wouldn't have a strong friendship with somebody who does all those things in life as well. You you need to have shared interests as we grow in our life with the Lord. We gotta recognize, man, I do love what he loves. I do hate what he hates. I do enjoy what he enjoys and I'm growing to experience and enjoy what he likes. There ought to be shared interests commonalities between you and the Lord. Here's the third thing. Do you spend time together? Do you spend time together with the Lord? The Lord wants to spend time with you. Did you know that? This is why we encourage everyone to spend time in prayer every single day. To spend time in his word. Why? Because you can actually hear him. He's going to speak to you through his word. This is not a, hey, check the box off the list. Hey, I know some more things. I'm spiritually smarter. He's like, no, do you encounter him? Do you enjoy him? Do you talk to him? You cannot build a friendship without time. You've got to spend time with somebody if you want to get to know him real well. Why would the Lord be any different? Why would the Lord be any different? And he's inviting this. Do you realize that he's put his spirit inside of you so you can talk to him whenever you want? You don't have to wait till this hour every week. Did you know that? People used to think, well, I gotta go to a sanctuary. I gotta go to this place to talk to the Lord. No, you don't. Talk to him. He put his spirit right there. He's opened this up for you. He's given you his word so you can talk to him. You can express yourself. You can be honest. You can be naked and unashamed before the Lord. But you gotta spend time with him. Do we spend time together? Here's the fourth thing. Do you enjoy one another? Do you enjoy the Lord? Look, we just did that a couple minutes ago. I hope you experienced that where we had worship. I love coming to worship. I love clapping. Some of you are still getting used to that. Okay, you'll get there. I promise, right? 
Some of you go, Adam, I have no rhythm. We will pray for you. Right, we will. But look, it's okay. Why? Because you're enjoying him to say, I love the Lord. I am excited about the Lord. I delight in him. And so I'm going to enjoy the Lord. I'm going to sing praises to him, say he is great. He is awesome. Look at what he's done. God, you are amazing to me. And we sing praise. You are enjoying him. Do you know that he enjoys you too? You might've thought that was a one-way street. It's not. The Lord says he rejoices over you with singing. He likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. And he likes to spend time with you. And he rejoices over you. He enjoys you. He enjoys spending time with you. Do you spend time just enjoying him, praising him, being excited about who he is? And here's the fifth thing. Do you look out for one another? Do you look out for one another? Now here it breaks down a little bit because the Lord doesn't need anybody to look out for him. The Lord actually doesn't need me to have his back. He can take care of himself. But he invites us to join in with him. And what he does say is this, but I will always have your back because the Lord is my help. He is my shield, my protector, the one who brings aid and comfort and succor. He's the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you hanging. I will always be with you even until the end of the age. I do not leave or forsake. I will not be faithless. The Lord says, I got your back. I'm with you. That is what friends do. That is what best friends do. In the same way the Lord is trying to build that best friendship between you and your spouse, whether you are married or not, the Lord says this, I am that best friend to you. And I love you and I want to spend time with you and I am drawing you into that relationship. What if you and I poured ourselves into that friendship, that companionship that the Lord wants to have with us? So to help us understand that today, we're going to come to the table uh, and we've done this many times before, and we do this frequently. But we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to invite all my deacons uh, and the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And in just a moment, we're going to pass out two elements. A bread, a piece of bread, and a cup. Because on the night before Jesus was crucified, he said, this is my body, and this is my blood. And he had already said to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, and he lays down his life for his friends. And then what does Jesus do? He does exactly that. How? By dying on the cross for us. His body would be broken. His blood would be shed. And then at this meal, do you know what he does? He says, eat this. I, I, these, are, these are for you. I'm going to be in you, connected to you. Why? Because I will be in you and you will be in me forever. This is the union, making us one with him that he desires. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he wants to remind you again of his deep kinship, companionship, love, friendship for you as we come to this table. In just a moment when the elements are passed, uh, if you're not a believer, if you could do us a favor just out of respect for the Lord and respect for us, we would ask you to abstain. Uh, it would be respectful on your part to do so, but please do not feel uh, left out and we would love for you to join us if you also would like to join us in putting your faith in Jesus Christ. For all of us here who have put our faith in him, we'll partake today. We would love for you to join with us as you put your faith in him as well. Uh, but today, let's continue our worship as we come to the table. Jesus said that on the night uh, before he was crucified, 
He broke bread and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. He did not hold back. He meant what he said and he lived it out. Let us thank the Lord for this gift. Pray with me if you will. Heavenly Father, thank you. You are the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And forgive us, Lord, when we kind of kept you at arm's length or thought you didn't like us or didn't want us or our insecurities kept you away or our pride or our, our sin. And we just thought maybe, maybe you didn't want to hang out with the likes of us. And instead, Lord, you went to a cross and you died for all of our sins to open up this door yet again for friendship. We have no right to be called your friends and yet you invite us in. God, thank you that you would love us so much that you would let your body be broken. We are thankful for the sacrifice you have given. In your name we pray, amen.